May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable unto you, O Lord, our strength and redeemer. Amen. Well, the scripture is uh, pretty much direct. Isaiah predicts the healing powers, but is God's vengeance that reclaims the people of Israel. Then we go on to the gospel story where there are two specific healings relevant to the Isaiah text. But the interesting part is we need to look at the cultural history here. Because I don't think we get the flavor of the gospel lesson until we truly understand where it comes from. Number one, Jesus spoke to a Gentile, a woman Gentile, which was forbidden of good Jews. You did not mix with another culture like that because they were somehow less than God-worthy. And Jesus deals directly with her and has this conversation A little confusing to me, personally. But she responds to him out of strength of her own faith, regardless of her religious heritage. And Jesus grants her the healing of her daughter from the demon. Remember, very clearly, this is a violation All those people around Jesus were shocked and horrified that he would talk to this woman, much less grant her the healing power of her own daughter. The next is a person who is deaf and cannot speak. And the interesting part here is that the group, the crowd, brings this person forward because they want a display of Jesus' real healing power. So it's supposed to be a spectacle. Now this person, couldn't speak or hear, was considered at that time to be of sin, a contagious sin at that. And I think part of the reason for the crowd prompting Jesus to do this great healing was to show off his ability to do the wrong things. Very interesting in the text, if you read it very clearly, and it was pointed out to me by a deaf missioner when he came to my church in Stafford, New York, St. Paul's, he did this lesson And he said, you have to understand, this person could not speak or hear. So what does Jesus do? Instead of doing the spectacular crowd thing, Jesus takes him aside by himself. Then he does the most unthinkable thing possible for this person. 
He takes his fingers and touches the ears, which is the contagion of sin. Then he takes spittle and puts it on the man's tongue. Again, contact with a contagious disease, the sinfulness of this person. He says, Ephatha, be opened. And the man spoke and heard. Well, the deaf missioner said to the small group of people gathered, what was the real miracle here? Well, he could speak in here. Well, he said, but look at it closely. What is the true miracle is that this person who has seen all of their life as sinful, less than real, something despicable in the culture, had a person from the culture pull them aside, put their fingers in the ears, touch the tongue, and the person for the first time had human contact of care, compassion, and love. That was the miracle. This man spoke and heard because he was respected as a child God. So when we're looking at these lessons and we sort of think of them as being cute, let us remember the dynamic that comes from behind the scenes. I want to share an experience that I had that sort of somewhat paralleled for me this experience. About 48 years ago, I went into clinical training to be taught how to be a good chaplain, a nurturer, a caring person. And there were two options I had. One was to go to Welfare Island, New York, or yeah, New York City, to spend some time at Bird S. Kohler Hospital or I had the option of going to Rikers Island and spending some time at the jail. I went and interviewed at Rikers Island, and immediately I realized that this world around me was not comfortable and not a happy place. And I was not really geared to being in that kind of ministry. So I thought, well, the hospital's got to be better than this. And I went to the hospital. Welfare Island is on an island off of New York City. It was a 1,600-bed hospital where people who were critically ill, long-term care, were dumped primarily. The visitations on this island to see their family were minimal at best because they were diseased. They reflected the worst that the family didn't want to have to deal with. This is the attitude that I picked up immediately as I walked in because I felt that maybe this was a little bit below me too. Was I going to get something by being in this hospital with these people? It was a very trying experience. And I remember I finally said, okay, I'll commit to this. 
because it seems like the lesser of two cultural shifts that I could bear, endure. When I went to Rikers Island, the, chap, <clears throat> the chaplain there had said, well, you won't have to have much interaction with the prisoners. You'll do it at a distance, protected. When I went to Bernadette's Kohler Hospital, I was going to be at the bedside of these sick people with all sundry of diseases. So in my decision, I went, and the first training session that we went through, Bernie, a gentleman who was a member of the hospital patients, gave us an orientation session, and he had multiple sclerosis. And he was in a wheelchair tied because he was shaking a lot because of his particular disease. And it was very hard for me. There were six of us as seminary chaplains, and we're trying to listen to what he's saying because his voice was slurred. And finally, in the course of his presentation, I began to actually hear what he was saying in spite of my difficulty with sight and sound. Bernie introduced us and talked about who the patients were, what they were all about. And the interesting part, at the very end of his presentation, Bernie, in his shakingness, got really sort of, I thought was more agitated, but he was really excited. Because he looked at us and he said, Gentlemen, remember... You're the odd ones here. (laughs) Well, I didn't feel very good about the comment at the time, but it certainly reminded me of the place I was in and the separation that I felt and the judgment that was inherent in a lot of stuff that was going on for me. Over the course of the 11 weeks, I learned a lot. And Bernie, perhaps, was the best guard and guide for us. Because whenever we got into deep water, we sought him out. Not our chaplain, but Bernie. Because he could put it in perspective for us. About six years after I had graduated from seminary and gone to the ministry... I saw an article from one of the nursing magazines. I opened the magazine, and there was Bernie. Full page, colored picture. The article was acceptance. Bernie had been able to accept us, even though we were the odd ones there. I'm sure that if any of you are really open to those feelings that you have around going into situations that are extremely and highly uncomfortable, you'll find that your cultural background, the words that you found to give voice to your rights and wrongs, will be uncomfortably challenged. 
And the interesting part is that's when Jesus meets people. He does the unthinkable by crossing the known norms and encountering us as worthy. We have to get rid of all of our own self-worth to be able to understand that God through Christ is giving us value and worth independent of anything. What an interesting concept. What an interesting way of looking at life. That while I think someone else may be wrong, that Jesus gives them access of being right. And it's my limitation and judgment that creates a separation, not God or God's call through Jesus for us to be healed of the separations. This gospel is extremely powerful. It reminds me always that we can only be healed as we are open to seeing the other as having value, worth, because in that we see Christ and we see Christ alive for us. We need, this is difficult, but we need to be understanding of the differences in culture. We need to be tolerant of one another in spite of our best interests not to become that way. Because it's important for us, I think, always as Christians and as being called to follow Christ, that we may, in fact, be open to being the odd ones here. Amen.